We are about to embark on Romans chapter 8, which in my humble opinion, I don't know if we'll get through it, I mean there's so much stuff, I have literally like three pages of notes, but but, uh, this is what I like to call the screaming face melting guitar solo of the book of Romans is this chapter, it's just, it's uh, unbelievable. And it's just like, boom, 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 boom. Because there's more than, it isn't like, he does, he's not talking about one thing the whole time. He like just hits these, these big, gigantic chords, just like, pow! And you're like, oh! And then he's like, but what about this? And you're like, joy! And he's like, what about that? And you're like, oh my gosh! So yeah, that is what, that's what's happening. So let's pray. Because I need help. <sighs> Abba, the stuff we're about to look into is the stuff that angels long to look into. The stuff that we're about to look into is some of the purest, most rarefied glory in all of Scripture. And I want to do it justice. scares me a bit to even be attempting to teach it. So Lord, I just rest in you. Holy Spirit, I pray you would impart these things to us in the depths of who we are. That uh, their understanding of these scriptures would not rely on my abilities to understand them or to teach them that you would speak deeply. I trust you. I heard uh, one of the greatest preachers of the last hundred years is a man named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones from, um, he was in England um, and uh, I read a something he wrote. That he said that preaching was the closest a man will ever come to carrying and birthing a child. Um, because basically the idea is God fills you with a reality and you have to carry that and deliver it. Uh, without killing it. <laughs> you know, that's the basic idea. That to bring this thing whole into the world without destroying it, without, you know, I mean, and that's, that is not a simple thing to do. Um, it's a difficult thing to do. And, and when we're, yeah, so. <laughs> was, that, was, was that a little rough? But, but, but it's true. It's real. And, 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 um, and I think... You know, for those of you, I don't know really what calling God has for each of your lives, but for those of you that intend or feel like God has a place uh, of teaching or preaching out there for you, that you should understand the weightiness 
of this reality that you've been called to. To rightly divide the word of God. This is no small thing. It's, it's, it's no... Um, it's, it's a massive responsibility. It's, it's, um, um, and, you know, the Bible actually tells us, don't, don't seek to be a teacher. Uh, because you're going to basically be held responsible for what you've, you know, what you've put out there in the world. And so it's actually a little bit frightening. Um, especially these are truths that have deeply shaped me over a long period of time. And to bring them to you, um, it really does. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trembling slightly. Uh, inside to to look at the stuff that we're going to talk about today. Um, I, yeah, I don't, that's probably why I'm like waxing the elephant right now, uh, diving in, even though we have at least five hours of uh, what's that? Waxing the elephant. <clears throat> have you ever heard of the phrase <laughs> waxing eloquent? Oh, I thought you said waxing the elephant. I did. <laughs> um, it's it's they're taking that phrase waxing eloquent and they're making fun of it because most of the time when people are waxing eloquent, they're just wasting time. They're just trying to puff themselves up. So uh, waxing the elephant is what people say. Like the pointless activity. No matter what you do, they're dry. It's uh, you know. so that'd be a waste of time trying to put lotion on an elephant. Well, you never know. I used to have an elephant skin wallet. Um, well, I seriously do. So <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, they were. I was in the Philippines on a missions trip. Which, by the way, please be praying for the Philippines right now. Oh my goodness. Um, what happened to them? Literally, the most massive hurricane on record hit the Philippines. It was six hundred miles. Bigger than Hurricane Katrina. I thought it was. Yes. Wow. It's not the there biggest hurricane difference. anymore. You were never a hurricane. It's a hurricane in the Atlantic Ocean. It's a typhoon in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, They're the same thing. Or a yeah. willy if you're near um, Australia. That's what they call them as willy willies. Okay. Um, <laughs> so it's a typhoon, not a hurricane. There's not a difference. It's the exact same. They're the exact same thing. No, it's not. What did it do? There's really a no difference. If you looked at them on a map, on like a radar map, you would not be able to tell the difference. A hurricane and a typhoon. It's just where it's located is the only thing. So anyway, yeah, it's it was 600 miles wide. It had winds like gusts of wind, upwards of 250 miles an hour. Um, and yes, and right now they're saying about 10,000 people were killed, but they have oh, no clue. Crazy. They have no clue. I mean, the problem is that the Philippines is one of the poorest nations in the world, so and it's been recovered. It's had like it had a major earthquake and then something else within the last year that already decimated their ability to respond to uh, to bad stuff happening. And then this hurricane comes through, and it has just the Destroy the, I heard them literally say uh, yesterday on the radio that, uh, um, that if Haiti, that if, if the earthquake in Haiti was a 10, this is an 11. Wow. And what was the earthquake in Haiti? What, was it a 10? No, I mean, the earthquake in Haiti was this. I mean, it literally flattened. It literally flattened everything. Everything. 
and hate. I mean, just devastation levels. That's so sad. They're saying just on a scale of one to ten, if Haiti was a ten, this is an eleven. It's like this is worse. Um, so please be praying for them. And I mean, do you know listen to the stinking radio, people. I mean, come on. You drive from one place to another. Get you know. You, you, you should. You should Star not. Three talks about it. You should not. Oh, let's start. We have iPhone. <laughs> that was supposed to be. Listen to NPR and get real news, please. Um, what session is that? 89.1. Eighty-nine point one. I didn't mean I was happy just so you know about this. Hurricane Katrina was big. This was bigger. But it was a typhoon and not a hurricane. But just that the only difference is where they were. It's the exact same kind of storm. Happens each day. Potato, potato. Isn't how they're formed a little different too? But they end up being the same. Not really, no. I think it's no. just the ocean It's still it's still cold air descending from a northern region into a southern region where there's hot, wet air, and it turn, begins to spiral and massive. Yeah. Does it, whether it's on the northern hemisphere or southern hemisphere change which direction it turns, like it does in the water in your bathtub? It actually doesn't do that in the water in your bathtub. Oh, yeah, it does. No, that's a myth. When I was in Costa Rica, it turned the other way. Myth, myth. <laughs> it can turn either way, no matter where you are. That's nice, but it could turn either way, no matter where you are. Trust me, it's a myth. Go look it up on the internet. It is a myth. It's not true. Mythbusters. Mythbusters actually did something on that, really? of course. Yes, they did. What did they prove? We got a lot. They proved that you could go either way, and it doesn't matter. It's, oh. it's not the do with the rotation of the earth. Okay. Pay attention. We have sufficiently wasted twenty minutes. Let's continue. Um, <laughs> Alright. We jump off the cliff right away with the first verse of Romans chapter 8, which is so massive. Okay, it's just. Ah, bah, that's all you can do. All you can really do is just go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Kaboom! Explosion! Oh my gosh, what the heck? Whoa! Wow! Okay, that, uh, you can't, you, you just can't make that a small sentence. You just can't, you can't take that. Oh, we walk under so much condemnation all the time. We're kind of, I'm such a bad person. No! The Apostle Paul is like, no! There is no condemnation for those that are Christ Jesus. Ah, and it's just, you know, just it just disarms the enemy in a major way. It's just like, you know, the enemy, you know, Satan means accuser. That's what his name means, because that's what he does. He accuses God, and he accuses you, and he accuses your friends, and he accuses leadership, and he accuses... That's how he stirs up trouble, all the time. Oh, God... You're not going to die if you eat that fruit, Eve. God just doesn't want you to be like him. That's an accusation. That he's leveling against God. If we see him, we see him in the book of Job, and he comes up and says, He doesn't really love you. You just blessed him so much that he's going to follow you. Take all that stuff away. Accusation. In the New Testament, they call him the accuser of the brethren. Okay? Satan is such an accuser, and he's constantly coming against us with the stuff that we screwed up, and he's going, You're an evil, horrible person. And 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 here's the apostle Paul going, No! No, there is no condemnation. 
period, can somebody tell me what it means to be condemned? Something held against you. Wrong. What does it mean to be condemned? Sentenced, right? Yes. You are condemned to death. Okay? Condemnation means, it isn't that I'm holding your sin against you. It means I'm going to punish you for it. Do you see the difference? Well, that's not the same thing. So you need to make sure. Language is very important. It's not the same thing. To hold something against you is to say, you're guilty of this. But that's not condemnation. So when preachers say, like, I'm not condemning you, what does that mean in that context? When they say I'm not condemning you, they're probably using the word incorrectly. <laughs> what they're trying to say is, I'm not holding any of this against you. Yes. That's but, every pastor but that's not what the word means. Because we're Americans and we don't really know what our own language, how our oh, own language works. That's true. Oh, okay? It's very true. It's very true. We don't think about the words. Of, you know, well, in English, the problem is English class didn't work right. I know. That's why we're here. Well, even Pastor Joe, I'm not bringing condemnation. Okay. This oh. is Pastor Joe we're talking about now. You know, he's from Alabama. <laughs> I love the guy, but he I, misuses words all the time. Constantly. There's been phrases this weekend, or this week, that I've been like... <sighs> okay. <laughs> that's pretty much a lot of people. It's not... I know what he means, and everybody in the audience knows what he means. So is he communicating effectively? Yes. Oh, yeah. But is he using the English language correctly? No, he's not. He's saying. Does the majority of America use English language no. correctly? No. Really not. So then, does that redefine what the word means? No. If everyone's using it a certain way. It doesn't, because it doesn't. Because we know what it means. Then you could just bend and twist everything yeah. in reality. Which you kind of can, but that's. So, what are you supposed to put in place of the word condemnation then? Like, I'm not huh? condemning you. Like, I'm... Condemnation means that you are expecting punishment. Okay? Punishment is coming to you. I'm condemned to death. Death is coming to me. That's what condemnation means. There's another thing. When a building is condemned, okay? When a building is condemned, that means it is headed for destruction. Okay? We're going to tear this building down. That's what condemnation means, okay? And in that case, it's not punishment that's coming for it, but it is destruction that's coming for it, which is basically the same reality. Wow. Point is, you are no longer headed for punishment. Is that good news or what? There is now no longer a future of punishment for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That is so good. That means we're not going to hell, guys. That's great news. Oh, come on. Somebody's got to get excited about that. If you know anything about hell, you need to be excited that you're not headed there. Okay? Go read 23 Minutes in Hell, and then you'll be really excited you're not headed there. Okay? We almost every year, we, we have Bill Weiss come to this church and preach on 23 Minutes in Hell. And if you haven't read the book... You should. It's... What? He spent 23 minutes in hell. He had a vision experience where he was in hell for 23 minutes. And so, he if a vision, experience, yes. a vision experience, you really don't know if God actually took you or didn't. You know yes. what I mean? Like, you don't Yeah, he really doesn't know. But it was a vision experience. It was a, it's, an, it's an insane book. <laughs> the book will mess with your head. I wouldn't want to spend 10 seconds in hell. No. But he spent, he spent 23 minutes there, and he got to see <laughs> things. And um, 
That what I really love about Bill Weiss is that he's not, he doesn't come to talk about his experience in hell. He comes to talk about what the Bible says about hell. Yeah, that's cool. And it's, didn't he come to know those things because of his yes. experience? Yes, he had this experience, so he decided he was going to study right. about hell. You know, to, I'm going to go find this in the Word, you know, and see, you know, what, and yeah, everything that happened to him is Which there. Is backed up in the um, and so, and, and he spends the yeah. entire book just ta- just teaching about what the Bible says about hell. And it's, re- hell is worse than you think it is. Far worse than you think it is. That is way better than you think it is. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> now, Okay, so there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This sentence is another sentence. It's another mountain range. It's like, there's the Tetons. Let's keep walking. Um, it's, it's like, what? Okay, first of all, as I, began, as I went through and studied this again, getting ready to teach you guys this, I know that Paul spends a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit in this chapter, more than I realized, the, the last, you know, more than I have ever noticed before. And in this particular one, if you will notice, the word spirit is capitalized. Correct? Yeah. Right. That is because in the Greek, this is a a specific usage of the word spirit, which must, can only be applied to a person. Is that in verse 1 or 2? Verse 2. Okay. So this isn't, and this is something the Lord really spoke to me deep as I was reading through this. He said, do not, do not depersonalize this verse. Don't treat the Holy Spirit as some kind of existential force which is pushing us out of death and into life. No. Realize, understand, grasp that this is the third person of the Trinity. Active in your being to take you and to set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay? Which feels way better than just like, you know, this, it's, this isn't the law of gravity. It says the law of the spirit of life. By the way, I don't like the word law there. And every, every, single, uh, every single place that I've, like all, all the different um, uh, uh, the translations that I've been able to find, all basically say law. The, the Greek word isn't like law, like rule. Like this is a regulation. That's the wrong way to look at it. It's, it's more like, um, it, it actually means the way of operation, the mode of operation, the, the, um, the, the, the in Latin, the modus operandi. The, the, it's, it's, it's the dispensation. This is how we do things now. Okay, that's what it means. That word, it's the way it works now. Okay, so via, so so let's read that again. For the way it works now by the spirit of life inside of you through Christ Jesus. Okay, 
You see how that's different than like some kind of regulation or some kind of... Do you see? And, and, and that, just, that shifts my perspective of this verse just a little bit. But even more when I think about this reality, that it is the third person of the Trinity alive in my inner man. Okay. Breaking off this law of sin and death, just like, you know, I mean, he's just like walking through, just tearing that stuff out of the way. It's like, no more. I just love it. I just love it. It's like, ooh, you're moving, Holy Spirit. That's so cool. <laughs> I, I love that. Now, I got to tell you, if you don't pray to the Holy Spirit, you're missing out. You need to talk to him. Because he's right there. He's, he's within you all the time. You should speak to him. You should speak to him. You should, as you read the scripture, you should say, Holy Spirit, help me understand that. As somebody's preaching, if you're not kind of really connecting, you should say, Holy Spirit, I want to I, I hear what you're saying right now. Would, would you clarify? Would you move whatever's out of the, in the way, out of the way? Would you talk to me about this? Talk to the Holy Spirit. Make him, he, he, Jesus called him, our paraclete, okay, which means the one who comes alongside. It's this. It's the word that we translate into helper. Okay, it's um, and it's literally a picture of like you know people that are running a marathon, and the guy comes alongside and runs next to him and gives him the water <laughs> and those steps. You know, okay, that's the picture. That's the picture. This one who comes alongside. It was also kind of cool. It was another word for lawyer back then, which is really interesting. He's, um, I'm not going to go much further than that, but, but understand him that way. He's been put in your life for a purpose. And if you're not aware of his presence in your life, and, and if you are not cooperating with his presence in your life, and inviting his help, then you're just missing out. Because it's the law, it's, it's the spirit of life that has set you free from sin and death. He's the one. He came in to us when we were spiritually dead. When we were spiritually dead, but the word of God, the incorruptible seed, went into our hearts and created faith, this little spark called faith, Okay, It reached out to God. God cleansed us of our sins lawfully. You are not a sinner anymore. Psh, psh. He cleared up all the debt that we owed and that we had to pay. He said, I'll pay it. Boom, he paid it. Okay, That's why there's no condemnation anymore. And then he sent the Holy Spirit in, into us to take you know, the paddles to our dead spirit. Clear, okay, and gave us, and that's actually not a correct biblical picture. I like to use it because it's kind of funny, but the truth is what he did was he wheeled away the corpse of our former dead spirit and recreated a new spirit inside of us that is so intricately connected with himself that he will never leave us. And from that reality inside of us, Bursting forward, okay, that was resurrection number one. That was, or I should say, you know, the first movement of the resurrection has begun on the inside of us, okay? The moment faith reached out to God and said, help, okay, that's, the resurrection began right then. Okay, our sin died with Jesus, done. 
And then resurrection was released inside of us by the power of the Spirit because it was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We'll get there in a little bit. Oh. Okay. It was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Okay. And the Holy Spirit, that same, that. that same tide of resurrection that began, Jesus started the fire, you know, and all of a sudden it's just, it's been exploding forward into the church through all of these ages. The, the echo of Jesus' resurrection, the force, you know, imagine like, like, a, you know, an explosion and you have the compression wave that just goes, Okay, that's what's happening. Jesus was the explosion, and that compression wave of resurrection is just expanding outward, and, and it hits, we're the first fruits of the resurrected. <laughs> that's just really good. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're the first trees to get knocked over by this compression wave of resurrection, and, and it's begun in you already, but it's not finished. It's moving outward, okay, and so you're continuing... You're continuing to be more and more resurrected the longer you're in Christ. And eventually, we'll be done being resurrected. That means not just our spirit, but our soul and our body will also be resurrected. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Please, if you learn anything through these times together, Learn this. The law cannot make you holy. It cannot help you. It cannot bend to let you in under the standard. If the law ever bent, if the law ever ever became less than the standard, if it ever became smaller to let somebody in, it would no longer be the law. It would cease to be the standard Rulers don't, don't make themselves smaller just because you want to be six foot tall. Okay? The law is a ruler. It is a standard. It is a measurement. And it cannot change your reality. It just tells you what your reality is. That's all it was ever meant to do. That's it. That's it. Okay? Okay? But God did what the law could not do. Hallelujah. <laughs> By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Now check this out. That sentence is so important, guys. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. What does condemn mean? That's right. He set it for punishment. Now what in the world? He condemned sin in the flesh... He set it for future punishment. It, he punished it. Your sin has been punished. Do you understand? Your sin died with Christ on the cross. Your sin died with Christ on the cross. I can't say it loud enough. Your sin died with Him. It is dead. It's gone. It's been paid for. It's been punished. The debt has been paid. Blah, I could say it a thousand different ways, and Paul does, okay? <laughs> Your sin was applied to Jesus, and when he died, it died, and it got buried with him. But then resurrection happened, and he left the sin in the grave, and he came out. And because he came out, we come out. <laughs> come on, this is great! There isn't... Oh! Oh, okay.
He condemned sin in the flesh. Take that sin! You know? I love it. Okay, people think I'm a little weird because on Good Friday, okay, I am never somber on Good Friday. Never. You want to know why? Because at the time I was rejoicing in. Because that's my sin hanging on the cross, and I want to nail it, and I want to stab it, and I want it to die. My, oh, I hate that thing. That's my sin hanging up there. Let it die. Yes. And when Jesus did that for me, because oh well, well okay. But he, I, I, I could go so there's so there's so another rabbit trail just beckoning me, but I'm not going there. I said something. I'm not going. Okay. Did Jesus die for you, or did he die for the Father? That's the question. Um, oh. Oh. You can just ask the question and you're fine. <laughs> okay, well, what's the and the answer is yes. Oh. He died. Oh, sorry. Wait, what, what was your question? Did he die for you or did he die for the Father? Both. And the answer is yes. Because in dying for you, he glorified his Father. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, okay. alright. We're going to go there. We already talked about that. Because like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> we hear all the time about how Jesus died for your sins. And that's true. But if we don't understand the greater magnitude. Because everything is set in position to glorify God. God. Exactly. Ah! If we don't understand that Jesus was, was not serving your forgiveness as much as his glorification. But in that process, that your forgiveness was how he glorified the right. Father. But it was but he was serving his father's glorification. Because all things were for the purpose of glorifying God. We are such Even himself. Even Jesus' death was and the mode of our when, when the Holy Spirit is at work in us, we will rejoice more in the glorification of God than we will in our own forgiveness. And that's huge. It really is. And trust me, I, that is one I had to pray through for a long time before I was able to actually emotionally be at the place where I could say, I'm more excited about God being glorified than I am about me being forgiven. It's not easy. And, and I, it's only the grace of God. And it took me about three years, honestly, before I heard that reality. And then I was able later to go, I'm so really good news that that happened by my sin being forgiven <laughs> but, but I'm so excited you know that it's way I'm way more excited about your glorification than my own forgiveness okay <laughs> that's, that's a big nugget it's huge man. Like that's, it's huge I feel like I need to sit here for a second <laughs> I feel like I just, just take got, a minute like, I take feel a like break. that typhoon just hit like, 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 my forgiveness is, that's everything you know? <laughs> Uh, it's secondary. I know, but I, I realize that. Jesus. Yes, exactly. I, I love, Real. I, I love, oh man, when, when the glory of God is really our highest value, then we, then our values are aligned with His. I read a book uh, recently. I, I just read the first chapter. And it's the biography of a guy, I think I even told you guys this, but it's the biography of, of a guy who ministered to thousands upon thousands of orphans in England for years. Um, and, uh, and he opens this book by, the biographer opens this book by a quote from him, from this guy that he's writing about, I cannot remember his name, life me. He says, 
Do I love orphans and did I want to see them in a home? Yes. Do I love educating children and did I want to see them educated? Yes. Do I, do I love feeding hungry people? Yes. But the reason I did anything was to glorify God. And if we aren't preaching the gospel out of that place, we're preaching it out of the wrong place. And it will, it'll be empty. It really will. And I worry about people who are so gripped by the lostness of mankind, and that's what drives them. It won't drive them for long. It won't. They'll burn out and they'll die. But if their delight in the glory of God is driving them, they'll run forever. They'll run forever. Does that make sense? Yeah. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You see, God was not about changing the standard. He didn't want to change the standard. He set the standard, and he likes it where it is. It can't be less than it is, because the standard is his own divine nature. He's not willing to change for you. I saw a, uh, <laughs> a, this like, thing of, of Disney movies, the way they ought to have been billed. Okay, and one of them was the Little Mermaid, and it said, "Change for your man." <laughs> Merman. <laughs> uh, that was great. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. Okay. She became a human to be with him. No, that's, she, someone said you said Merman. No, change for your man. Jesus isn't willing to change for us. He can't. The entire DNA of the universe is built upon who he is and what he does and how he feels and what he thinks. He, if he changes, he ruins everything. Okay. You thought what just happened to the Philippines was a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I know God can't change. Like, picture it. Like, if God changed, everything would probably literally just... Cease to exist. Disappear. Yeah. The Bible says the universe is held together by the word of his power. If, God, if God's word changes, the universe ceases to exist. That's just the way it is. All of existence is, is there to magnify the glory of God. Okay, Magnify like a telescope, not like a microscope, by the way. There is a difference. Okay, A telescope just takes something that's far away and makes it look more like it actually is. A microscope takes something that's very tiny and makes it much bigger. The glory of God is not tiny. No. It's just hard for us to see because we're so far from it. Okay, do you see the difference? Yeah. Yeah. You need to know the difference. When we say we magnify you, we are not saying, you're this tiny little guy and we're making you so big. No, we are saying, it's hard for us to see you, so show us better what you really look like. Does that make sense? Okay. With English words. Yes, they're very important. Both words, I mean, magnify means both of those things. It really does, but... Okay, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh, who walk 
Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He didn't want to change the standard. He cannot change the standard. He will not change the standard. He didn't make the law little. He lifted us up. Okay. Got to get that. Got to get that. The law is not evil. The way that we talk about it sometimes, I make it sound evil. It's not evil. It's just unswerving and unable to, to help us. It's going it's to constantly show us how we fall short. But Jesus came along and said, nope, I'm raising you up. And so guess what? You meet the standard. Yay! Now, but those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. I despise this translation. I, I really do. And um, uh, of, this, of, of this sentence, okay? And this is why. Because this sounds like this is something we choose to do. We set our minds on things of the flesh. We set our minds on things of the Spirit. <laughs> Wrong. That's not what it says in the Greek. It says, those who are of the flesh are set, okay, our bent, our desire, our delight, our flow, our reality, our everything is, is of the flesh. We seek the flesh, we look for the flesh, we desire the flesh. We aren't setting our minds on things of the flesh. Our minds are set. Our delight is set in the things of the flesh. That's how it works when you're in the flesh. But when you walk according to the Spirit, when this resurrection thing begins, more and more and more, our minds are set on the delight of the Spirit. Our delight is in the things of God and not in the things of the flesh. Now, there's a couple things that aren't really... Uh, I'm, I'm just going to... No, we're going to stop right here for just a second. Because we are Americans. We like, we are constantly being told that um, the things of the flesh are a place of pleasure and rest and fun and good. Okay? And so a lot of times we will, when we have the opportunity to rest, when we have the opportunity to enjoy ourselves, we will do it in a fleshly way. Have you ever had a day off? Okay? And at the, the end of that day off, your spirit feels really dull. Do you know what I'm saying? Does this make sense to you? Like you, you come back from a day off and, yeah, and you're just, you just, your spirit feels really dull. Like, boy, I can't really hear you, God. Like, that's weird. Okay, let me tell you what's going on. We are taking a fleshly understanding of rest, okay? Which, you know, in my case, equals escaping to a video game for hours, you know, or... Netflix. You know? Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with video games in and of themselves, or Netflix in and of themselves, but when I'm feeding a fleshly appetite, okay? Now let me, let me put some things out there. Okay, and, and a, a couple of these might be a, a little embarrassing, but we're just going to go there anyway, so just hang tight. Okay? The first one is food. Right? Food. Is it okay? You know, because as soon as I start talking about fleshy appetites, 
Immediately we think about Thanksgiving, you know, etc. Okay? Is it okay to enjoy food? Yes. The answer is yes. But how are you enjoying it? Are you enjoying it as an end in itself? Are you enjoying it because it points you back to the goodness of God? Do you see the difference? Because if you're enjoying it as an end to itself, that's a fleshy thing. It's a fleshly thing. And the truth is that that enjoyment is, lasts about this long. Lasts as long as the food is still in your mouth. But if you are enjoying this as, an, as, as a doorway into viewing the goodness and the beauty of God, wow, you take that chocolate chip cookie and... It's warm and gooey, and you put it in the milk, and it's put it in your mouth, and, you, and there's this explosion of gloriousness, you know? And, and, and you're like, oh, that was great. And you just continue to just devour all of the cookies because I want this experience to continue. Right? But imagine what it would be like, okay, if you take, if that goes in your mouth, and instantly you're like, God, you are so amazing that you created me to have this experience. And that you want me to enjoy this so that it reminds me of the truth that you are ultimately satisfied. Holy cow. Do you see the difference between those two activities? So Jesus would tell you, go ahead, eat cookies, but eat cookies so you know how good I am. For real. Think about it. The Bible says to eat whatever you eat out of a place of thankfulness unto the Lord. This, this is, it all becomes about feeding the true hunger of your soul, which is to feast upon the beauty of God. Okay, now let's talk about like going out in nature. You know, you see mountains or oceans or something absolutely stunning and amazing. Does it, does it make you go, wow, that's beautiful? Or does it make you go, God, you're amazing! Okay, that's the question. More, more than anything else in the world. Stuff like amazing things in nature make me That's what it's supposed to do. That's why it's there. Do you understand that God built mountains to be majestic so that we could look at them and go, God, you are so majestic. He built oceans to be so wide that we can't see across them so that we could see that and say, God, you're so much bigger than me. The reason the things exist the way that they do it's so that we can see them and be amazed at the glory. See, past the transient reality that we're looking at, which is just a material thing, and see through into the beauty of the one who formed this to show me this about himself. Now let's talk about sex. Okay? Okay. This is the one I thought might be a little embarrassing. Did you know that the Bible commands that men and, men and wife do not go long periods without having sex with each other? Yes. Yes, I did. Sam. It says don't abstain unless you're fasting for a short That's period right. of time. For a short period of time. For a reason and then come back together. Then come back together. And it has to be like a decided decision that you both make. Yes. Can't be one person withholding from another, etc. Now this is what it says. It says to do that so you don't sin. Okay? 
Now, most Bible trans, most Bible people that read that would say, well, you know, if you're not having sex with your wife, then that, that desire is going to rise within you, and you're going to look for an, another outlet, which would be a sinful outlet, because it's outside of marriage. Okay? I, don't, I think that's part of it. But I think more of it is that when you aren't seeing through that experience to the reality that lies beyond it, you are sinning. And that experiencing godly pleasure is a beautiful way of holding sin at bay. When we have, when we experience pleasure of all kinds and descriptions, that they should lead us to the one who created us to enjoy him. Does this make sense to you? Okay? So when the Apostle Paul says, they set their minds on things of the flesh, or their minds are set on things of the flesh, not things of the spirit. Do not automatically go to the place of, they set their minds on things of the flesh, that means sex and food and, you know, being lazy, okay? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about any enjoyment of anything that is enjoyed for the end of enjoyment itself and not for the end of seeing the glory which lies beyond it. Does this make sense to everybody? That's the fleshly mind. The fleshly mind says, feed me, I want this enjoyment, I want this pleasure, and I'm just going to continue in this pleasure as long as I can. And that leads to things like drug addiction, and etc., etc. But all of those things, enjoyment served as a god will destroy you. Period. If your enjoyment served as a God is manifested in food, you will get fat, sick, and die. Okay? That's what will happen. We're seeing it all over our country right now. I'm dealing with it a little bit myself. Okay? That's reality. If you, want, if, if, if you are enjoying food for food's sake, when that good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it has become a fleshly thing because we are serving an object and not the one who created it. So that's the root of why gluttony is. Yes. Because I that's never knew why that. gluttony is. Just because you're not. Yes. Any good thing that becomes an ultimate thing is a sin. Any good thing. That equal. That's that's definitely food. Okay. Or anything else. Set when we set our minds on things of the spirit. Okay. What we are doing is looking through these realities. At the one who created us to enjoy him. Okay? I personally believe that sex between a man and wife is worship. Okay? I think I'm bared out biblically in that. I really do. It's a holy thing. Which is what my t- I tell my wife all the time. You need to have you need to be more worshipful, my dear. Let's get holy, babe. <laughs> <laughs> to set your minds on things of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Everything else we could serve steals from us. You know, there there are realities in God that if this was the only thing that was true about him, I would be okay with doing with with living the Christian life and this is one of them every other reality that you could serve yourself 
anything else. It's always going to steal from you. Always. It's always going to sap you dry and kill you eventually. All of it. Doesn't matter what sin it is, doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what anything else other than God that becomes ultimate. Okay? For you. It's gonna it's going to kill you. It'll destroy you. That's what it will do, ultimately. In the end, you will die. Because it's of the flesh. But when God is our ultimate desire, we have pleasures forevermore. Jonathan Edwards kind of says it this way. He's a he's a he's a uh, he's a Puritan, so he says it a little more buff than thief and you know. Okay, but the idea is heaven is this: it is the ever increasing ability to enjoy God forever. That's the reality of heaven. That's what we're headed for. That we will begin here enjoying God. And our ability to enjoy Him will grow forever. Now, God's enjoyableness, okay? English language doesn't have good words for this. Satisfyingness, enjoyableness, enjoyability, I don't know. There's not, they're, all, they're all really you know, complicated words. Okay, but... The amount to which God can be enjoyed will never increase because He's infinitely enjoyable. But our capacity to enjoy Him can increase. Yeah. From the moment you get saved, God's primary goal for your life is that your capacity to enjoy Him increases every day from now until forever. That's what He wants. Why? Because it glorifies Exactly! Uh, How do you glorify a fountain? A drink of it. By putting water in it. You drink and your thirst is quenched. And then you go, this is really good! And then you continue to drink, which, okay, all that is, that's worship, that's praise right there. That's praise. Praise is seeing something that's true about God and going, that is so awesome! Which, according, the, the truth is, and C.S. Lewis says this, that human beings are unable to fully enjoy something until we can tell someone else how much we enjoy it. We always do it, don't we? I mean, if you eat a good cookie, even if no one's around, you're still going to go, that is good. <laughs> Am I wrong? It's, it's the truth. Why? Because we're built that way. We are built not just to enjoy something, but to exclaim about it. Because we are, this is the reality of who we are. Okay, so this, this is what we're going to be doing forever, is looking at God and going, Oh, that's amazing! Don't you think that's amazing? That's really amazing. Oh, look at that! Oh, that's amazing! Okay, that's how it's going to be. Okay? Why do you think it's like, you know, S.J. Hale's been talking about why the angels cover their faces. He, I don't think he ever really got there. The reality is, this is why. For a minute, and then they'll uncover again and be like, ah! why, do, why do the seraphim have eyes all over their bodies? So they don't ever have to take their eyes from the Lord. That's right! That's even better! They're just like, I'm going to cover this face, but I'm going to grow more eyes down here, okay? So it's like a six pack of eyes. Okay. I want that to make a ringtone. Let's fly. Okay. 
<laughs> I'm sorry if you weren't. Well, I guess it'll be on the recording. But. Oh, shoot, I forgot that one. I always forget that Oh, my gosh. Oh, so set the mind. To set your bent and your delight in the Spirit is life and peace. That's the reality. That's what we're called to. It's who we are. We're not called to be somber, sick, you know, shriveled up people. We should be the most vibrant, joy-filled, uh, you know, triumphant people on the planet. We should be walking around beaming all the time. Why? Because we have a source of joy that will never run out and never get old. The minute you think you have something figured out about God, he turns a fraction of an inch and you're like, No, I totally didn't see that! Oh! Whoa! Okay? <laughs> That's what happens. You know, it's, that's what he does. And he, can, he will do that forever. at infinitum. He will not stop doing that forever. Forever he's going to be going, oh, you think I'm good? We're, you're so good. And he's like, let me show you this. You know this little thing I got in my back pocket back here. Exactly. God's going to be that way forever. He's going to be like, check this out. It's going to be exciting. Heaven is not going to be boring. Anybody that thinks heaven is going to be boring does not know who God is, because God is not boring. And anybody that tells you God is boring means they have never experienced Him. But we shouldn't wait till heaven to. Move no, away. absolutely so, not. Life more abundantly is that. Yes. Yes, which is really what the rest of this chapter is about. Okay. I mean, if you think about it, like being around creative people is fun. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like, hey guys. You want to make a planet? Why do you think the universe exists? Watch this, I can juggle the stars. Watch this, I'm going to speak things. Yes. Check this out. I've got, hey, I've got an idea, guys. I've got an idea. I've got an idea. Light. And you're like, whoa, that is so cool. Hey, God, is that a wave or a particle? And he's like, I don't know. I'm sorry, that was a little physics moment right there. He's like, but actually, I do. I, just, I mean, I know, but you're going to figure it out. I just picture him, like, standing in front of, like, all his angels, and he's just looking back, and I'm like, <laughs> Exactly. That's exactly what he's doing. He loves it. He loves showing off. Anyway. Because it glorifies it. It does. It, it does. There, he couldn't give us a better gift. There's not a better gift to give us than to show us who he is. He doesn't have anything more valuable. And think about it. Think about the people that you're in relationship with, okay? Whether friendship or whatever kind of relationship it is. When you learn something deeply, something that's deeply true about them and you didn't know it, isn't it really exciting? I mean, think about that. And we, and we are like two-dimensional human beings, okay? We're these little, like, we're, we're this tiny little, like, you know? <laughs> I love that dude. I love you, man. You're so great. That's, but that's how it is. Even with my best friends, I'll like find something out about them. The other day, somebody I was talking to a guy I'm really close to, and he's just he said something about something he like does or like did when he was a kid, and I was just like, "You did what?" And he's like, "Well, I used to build rockets to send." Me. I was like, "You were a rocket builder? Like he's not like a sciencey guy at all." And I'm just like, "I love this about you." Anyway, it's just so cool to me because I get to make fun of him for it. I just feel like I need to settle settle here for a second. We have too much because it's disappointing how many people you see that. What they enjoy or what they find pleasure in, or even um, 
good things that God is the end. It's the end. And so you do get burnt out. You do get overwhelmed. You can do it for a season. Yeah. And then it's too much. You know, there's, C.S. Lewis is so good with this. He he says, um, and his reflection on the Psalms, which I would definitely, if you can read it, read it. In his reflection on the Psalms, he says basically this. The problem isn't that we want pleasure too much. It's that we don't want it enough. We are, he, he's, he likens us to little kids who live in the ghetto that say no to a trip to the beach to stay home and play in the mud. Why? Because we don't know what the beach is like. If we really we knew what the beach is mud. like, exactly, we settle for mud when we could have had the beach. We have no clue. You know, I'm not, I don't want to go to Disney World because I want to stay home and ride my bike. It doesn't make any sense when you really get it. You know, that's why good parents are like, you're going to do this. I know it's a little scary, but I promise you, you'll like it. And then the kids are like, that was great. You're like, I told you. The mind that's set in the flesh is hostile towards God because it doesn't understand. And it's not able to submit to God's law. It can't. Those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. It's just not possible. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Again, Spirit of Christ. Okay, so we had He's the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of life. Okay. He, and here he's the spirit of Christ All right. but if Christ is in you although the body is dead because of sin the spirit is life because of righteousness if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you this is that picture this is where I get that that whole picture of resurrection has begun in you, but it is not completed in you. And the Christian life is about saying yes to resurrection every day. It's about every day submitting all of the other junk that's going on to the resurrection that's at work inside of you. To pressing you to that place and saying, yes, let resurrection life explode out of me. Yes, let resurrection life continue to make its way through my body. And eventually that will be so completely uh, accomplished that our bodies will be resurrected themselves. But until that day, every day we say yes to resurrection. I'm going to create a t-shirt someday that says, Say Yes to Resurrection. Because this reality is something we don't understand. We don't understand that the life of God is present inside of us. Right now, the life of God is present inside of you. And if you'll allow it to, it will change who you are. You become like Christ. But it, it, you have to say yes. It's, it's, a, it's a process of saying yes to the life of God that's already in you. It wasn't in you before you believed, but because you believe, it's there. So submit to it. Let's continue to go. 
because he starts to talk about how you submit to it. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's, that's what it is. Identifying those fleshy attitudes, those fleshy thought patterns, those fleshy understandings, those things in your soul that belong to who you were and not who you are. Does this make sense? You identify those things in you that belong to, your, to who you were, they're remnants of who you were, and they're not who you are. And you submit those to the life of God that's moving inside of you. You say, God, here's another one. The Holy Spirit's really good at highlighting those so that you can say, yeah, I submit to that. Listen to the words that come out of your mouth. It's one of the easiest ways. If you hear something come out of your mouth, well, that doesn't agree with Scripture. There is a thought pattern behind that or a belief system behind that sentence or that phrase that came out of your mouth that it belongs to your old man and not to the new man. Understand, there's something going on in there that shouldn't be there. And, so be, and just submit that through the word to the spirit of life. And he will eradicate it. Might take some time, but he will. Here's we're gonna get really good again here. Ready? <clears throat> For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I looked at that up in the Greek. There's no way around it. It says sons of God. What verse are we in? I am in verse fourteen. Okay. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Ladies, you're a son of God. You need to understand that. In the Greek culture, it was very important that they were sons and not just kids because girls did not inherit. So think with your old school Greek mindset. You are a son of God, but guys were the bride of Christ, so just get over yourself. I'm totally okay with that. No. I'm, I'm fine she's a son. That doesn't mean she's a guy. She's a son. I want to inherit. So you're a bride. Doesn't mean you're a girl. Listen, why do you have to take it off? get the inheritance, I'll be called. What? I think I heard it. Sons of God means. Well, no, I get that. It's just funny. Like, it's like men are the bride of Christ and then women are the bride of Christ. No. We're all. We're all. I'm just saying, it's just funny how it applies to both of us. Yes. We need to understand that God is the masculine yeah. before which all other things are feminine. <laughs> Boss. That's what that should say. Right? That's a t-shirt. That's another C.S. Lewis quote. It doesn't get manlier than God. That's a t-shirt. If you haven't read C.S. Lewis, you need to because he's just great. Four loves. Unbelievable. Uh, meditation on the Psalms. Just incredible. Uh, I just, yeah. Just, just take a trip through C.S. Lewis at some point. He's fun to read. He really Narnia. is. Narnia is great. I love Narnia. There's some great you know stuff I've in there. I've never seen the first two Narnia movies. Don't see them. They're terrible. They are. They're horrible. Well, the first one was okay, but the second one was pretty bad, and the third one was really bad. 
It has, but it has nothing to do with the book. It's like, it's like that's what, here's the book. We're going to name the movie after this book, and then we're not going to do anything else that has to do with the book. But the, book awesome. they do with all the book is so great. But isn't that what they do with all books that are... No. Pretty much a lot of them. Lord of the Rings were good. They were great. They did, indeed. Correct. Hunger Games sucks. See, but I didn't read those, so the movie was off. I didn't think they said that bad of a job on the Hunger Games. Well, that's a funny show for another day, but it was not good. Anyway, Anyway, (laughs) I really hope it's as good, because the second book was my favorite book. The second book was the best. All the other things we just talked about, I had read. It was so good. I just watched movies. The third book? The third book, I wanted to be like, why isn't this just part of the second book? Well, the end of the third book, I, I felt like she got tired of writing and just, like, finished. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're going to make that one into two movies, which I feel is good. Why are they going to do that? Because they do it. I don't feel like, did you see who they picked for Finnick? I wanted to punch people. I don't think he looks right. He's not he that. He's not he's handsome. Finnick is supposed to be this brawny, like. I know, he's supposed to be this awesome. He's supposed to be, like, half-dog. He's in the next movie. Like, Finnick, in my mind, is more, like, built, like, Gaston. Yes, exactly. Not stupid. Except he's nice. Yes, nice. Is he going to fight in the Hunger Games? You're just gonna have to wait and see. Okay, here we go. For all who led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, and now he's gonna talk about how he's gonna he's gonna unpack this reality of sons of God for us here. Okay, in the next few verses. Okay, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. This is not a relationship based on fear of punishment. This is not a relationship based on I'm forcing you to do something or else I'm going to kill you and your family. That is not our relationship with God. We've not received that spirit. We had a spirit of slavery a long time ago, which was going to keep us in bondage forever until we died. Now we have received something else. You ready for this? There's another name for the Holy Spirit. Capital S. You have received the spirit of adoption. Woo! Oh! That's so big. Next time you talk to the Holy Spirit, call him Spirit of Adoption. Spirit of Adoption, I love you. I mean it, because that's his name. He's the Spirit of Life. He's the Spirit of Christ. He's the Spirit of Adoption. He is the one that makes me God's son. That's so good. That's so good. He's the Spirit of Adoption. Heidi Baker is an insane woman, and I think we might have talked about him, about her before, but she talks all the time about the spirit of the orphan versus the spirit of the son. An orphan feels like they have to fend for themselves, they, so they're constantly stealing things, even things that you offer to them for free. They won't take it until you're not looking, and then they'll steal it and hide it, because they always feel like they have to fend for themselves. They always feel like, I have to take what I can get get what I can take and that's the way it's going to be. I have no protector. I have no daddy. I am an orphan. But when she she talks about when she begins to see the spirit of adoption taking hold in an orphan's heart and it begins when they start giving things away because they know that they have somebody that's providing for them. And they don't have to be afraid where their next meal is coming from. About whether or not they're protected. Orphans, even in orphanages, run away all the time. Even in orphanages that are run well, they run away all the time. Why? Because they they feel like they have to protect themselves. No one's going to protect them. 
Okay? Orphans run away. Sons stay. Because they know that daddy is protecting them. You have been given the spirit of adoption as sons. You've been breathed into by Christ. The very sonship, the very sonship that Jesus carries has been gifted to you. One of the most mind-blowing verses in all of Scripture okay, is in that priestly address that Jesus gives at the end of the book of John. Okay, John like 15 through 17. And he says something that will demolish you if you read it with open eyes. He says, basically, I'm not going to quote, he says, the love the Father has for me is the same love he has for you. How much does God the Father love God the Son? Astronomically. That's how much he loves you. Yes, it's true. No, you don't observe it. Yes, it's true. That's what it means to have the spirit of adoption. Together. In here. By the spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba. One of one of the ways to identify the reality of the working of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is your desire to be fathered. Okay, in the in the Greek where it says we cry, I'm gonna have to read it from my notes because it's really good. It's not. The word denote, denotes a vehement speaking with desire, confidence, and constancy. That means by the spirit of adoption, we passionately confidently and constantly cry Abba there is a reason why I pray Abba all the time I want to be close to that cry on the inside of me I want to be I want to be close to the cry of the spirit of life inside of me that is the next verse says 
bears witness with my spirit that I'm the Son of God. I want to be close to that. Every time I say Abba, I'm reminding myself of that internally. It's a habit that I've created for this purpose. Because I, I, I'm not naturally close to that. And I want to force myself to remember this reality that I've been gifted. Poor children. You know, I'm done. We have only got through about half the chapter. Uh, but I just feel the Holy Spirit sitting on this. Um, and so I'm, I don't want to run beyond Him. Abba. Beautiful spirit of adoption. You release the cry of Abba in our hearts. Would you uncover it? Would you unclutter it? For so many of us, even those of us that had good dads, the whole understanding of father is really hard. But I pray that, that right now, in this moment, the spirit of adoption, I pray that you would cut away scar tissue, that you would clear away all of the things that have been built up around our desperate need for Abba, and that you would witness together with our spirit that we are the sons of God. that we live in the benefit of your love, that everything that's yours is ours. We carry your name and we carry your DNA. Rewrite the lies of the enemy. Just un, just 
rip them up, uproot them from our hearts, and let this truth be set as a foundation stone in us. Christ, the chief cornerstone. Abba, that we would wake up in the morning with a deep awareness of our sonship. There were the apple of your eye. be set free from that place to enjoy you for real forever. Just right now, guys, just um, if you have a heavenly language, just under your breath or as loud as you are uh, comfortable, just begin to just let that roll for a minute. We just invite you, Spirit of Adoption, to shut out this. If you've not been baptized in the Spirit, Now's a great time. Jesus said that that this was the gift of the Father. So you can have it right now. It's not it doesn't have to be hype or big or crazy. Just take it, just receive it. It's very simple. And very easy. encourage you just stay in this place as long as you need to. I'm done. But if you need to go find a corner to curl up in with Abba, you do that. Or just stay right where you are. And let's just respect this moment.